0: Alright, so it is, uh, it's week one of the story, uh, and, and I've I got to ask because I'm seeing some new faces. But how many of you have already received your books? As a family, you've got your books? You got them? Got them? Okay. So listen, if you don't have them yet, totally cool. We, uh, we actually, uh, preparing for this, we ordered about 400 copies of these, and we told you um, they're for you, they are free, do not pay them for us. Uh, this copy in particular is for youth all the way up through adult. Then we have a, a copy for third grade through sixth grade. Again, that's totally free. And then we've got hardbacks if you've got first and second graders uh, or, or, or uh, pre-K and kindergartners. And those are one per family. So you have multiple in that range. If you'll just take one of those books, please. Uh, they do cost us a little bit more, uh, but, uh, but that's one per family. So if you didn't get one of these, don't worry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you all the Bible references as well. But what we're asking you to do, guys, for 31 weeks, we're going to be walking through this journey. Now, this is an abridged bridge chronological version of the Bible. A bridge means we're not going to hit every single book. In fact, we're going we're gonna to go over segments from 41 of the 66 books. We're going to do all that in 31 weeks, uh, which is crazy, which means this morning we're covering nine chapters of Genesis. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, it'll be awesome. But, um, so here, here's, here's what I, I want to encourage you to do. After the service, if you don't have these, please just come see us. We actually ordered more. We ordered 400 of these and we ran out. So we have more, so you get them, Uh, you've got a neighbor or or a friend, you say, man, I really think they'd enjoy this. Just grab a copy, get a bookmark, go invite them to join you. If they don't accept the invitation, you can bring the book back, and we'll give it to somebody else, okay? Uh, That's how this works, and so uh, we're excited about that. So um, I mentioned to you guys last Sunday, this is a church-wide study. Uh, What that means is, is we just had our Sunday school hour all of our Sunday schools did this study. It was really cool. All of our adult classes, they're usually, you know, we have like this lady's class, and we have that lady's class, and we have that other lady's class, because they all like each other but don't want to sit in class together. Um, I'm joking, ladies, I love you. Uh, but no, they all have their own teachers and everyone wants to teach. And, and so, uh, so, but they were all here together. And, and and we've got a big class in the fellowship hall and they're here. And somebody meets in our choir room and they're here. And uh, everybody was together. We had all our adults and it was awesome. So uh, all of our Sunday school were doing this. But I did tell you there's a couple areas of church ministry that we are not doing the story in. Now, we are doing it in small groups, which we'll encourage you at the end of service to come be a part of one of those. Um, but on Wednesday nights, our kingdom kids, our, our children's ministry, is not doing the story because they're doing it on Sunday morning. Same thing with our youth. On Wednesday nights, they're actually doing the, the Gospel of John out in the white building uh, because they're doing the story on Sunday morning. So uh, I told you guys last week As part of that, I'm teaching your children in Kingdom Kids. So if you have kids, watch out. I'm teaching them. I'm I'm, I'm on that leadership team this semester. I'm excited uh, to spend a little time with children. And so guess what the story was, what I had, had to teach on this week in Kingdom Kids. Just take a guess. Creation. Creation, right? And so, really cool. I'm a hands on guy. So, uh, when we started talking about how God made Adam, um, I asked one of the little boys in our class to come up and I, I, I got out some, uh, I got out some sand and I put it in my hand. I kneeled down. I said, okay, buddy, now come here. We're going to reenact this moment in the Bible, okay? It's going to be awesome. And so he came up and I said, this is going to be really cool. Now, now, uh, when I count to three, you are going to, you're going to breathe life. Into this dirt, and we're gonna make we're, we're gonna make something. Okay, we're gonna make a man. Okay, are, are you ready? We're gonna recreate this. It is gonna be awesome. And I was like, What do you want to name him? Can we name him Larry? And he said, No, you can't name him Larry, Pastor. He's gonna be Adam. I said, Okay, he's gonna be Adam. So so listen. And I was like, Listen, we're not just blowing here. We're breathing life, whatever that means. All right. So so you think about what that means in your your little nine year old mind, right? And uh, and then and so so I so I, I count to three. and I'm like one, two, three. And man, he is focused, and he is like. <sighs> And he opens his eyes, and it's like, well, it didn't work that time. Let's try again, right? So he tried a couple more times. And the only thing that we made was a mess all over the floor of the kingdom kids' room, which I did not clean up. Um, uh, sorry, Pete. Love you, man. Um, but I, I didn't. But, but here, here's what I asked the kids. I said, so, so is it possible? Like, can we as humans, could we make life out of nothing? Could we really make life out of the dust? And, and, and all, these are young children. And then they go, no, that is impossible, I said, you know what, but, but here's our memory verse for the next two weeks, Luke 1 for nothing is impossible with God. So this morning, I want to invite you into this story as we study this God who can do all things, including create everything that we have seen and everything that we haven't out of nothing, out of nothing. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of the Lord? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this time together. I'm super excited to get into your story, to dig into it, uh, God, and to hear what you have for us. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you now to come and take your proper place uh, as, as the teacher of this church. Please lift up Jesus, that he might draw all men unto himself. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, so uh, pop quiz. How many of you, uh, you, you, you have your copy. Now, if you don't have your copy, you, you're not in this, right? Because you're going to get your copy today, and then next week you'll be in this question. How many of you were able to do your reading this week? You knocked it out of the park. Wow, that is the vast majority of you. Congratulations, good job. How many of you did more than your one chapter? You overachievers. You know what? Some of us are barely hanging on, you guys, okay? And here you are no, no, we're super excited. Um, so, hey, if you've got your copy of the story with you, um, I'm going to be on page one. Uh, if, you, if you didn't bring your copy of the story, you have the Bible. Ha! <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I'm in Genesis 1. Uh, Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. Um, Now, I I will say this. If you've got... uh, These are really cool, by the way. They're they're invitations to join the story. On the back line is this timeline. And uh, what we're going to do, if you have your bookmark, I've got a slide here. We're going to cover the whole first section of that bookmark. Um, We're going to cover that whole uh, entire thing. That's called the first movement. There's five movements in this story we're going to cover. And this morning, movement one is the story of the garden. And we're going to cover that entire movement... um, this morning. And so, uh, and the story begins, of course, whether you're on page one or you're in Genesis 1-1, with four really powerful words that show us who the story is all about, right? These four words tell us, like, whose name is on the marquee. And, And this is what it says, right? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. See, don't make any mistakes here, friends. This is God's story, This is, this is his story. Like, we're gonna be in it, which is awesome, but ultimately this is the story of God that God has said, hey, I wanna tell you my story. And, and, and that's what we're here to do. We're here to study, um, this, this story of God. And what we're gonna discover along the way is that God operates on a completely different plane than we do. Okay? So we call that we're going to call that the upper story. That God is always doing these godlike things that we can't understand. Um and, and 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 so that's kind of how the story begins. And so the story begins in this upper story that God chooses to create the world of the lower story. That's the world that we live in. And, and he does so with this vision of coming down into this world and, and living and, and being and, and spending time and fellowship with us in a beautiful, beautiful garden. And that's kind of where the story begins. And so I've, I've really just got three things to share with you if I can do my best to do them uh, shortly uh, here in a half hour. Um, and here, here's where we begin with this truth. I want you to see this. First part of the story, God creates... And everything is good. God creates and everything is good, right? God says light and there is light and and and, and, and there is day and there is night and, and he says it is good. Then then God looks and he says, separate waters. And, 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 and there's suddenly sky and water below. And, and then, and then God says, land, gather into one place, right? Vegetation, plants of all kinds spring up. And they do every kind of seed bearing tree you could imagine. And God says, man, it is good, right? And then God looks to the sky and he says, let there be lights here. And, and suddenly there's a great one that takes care of the day that we call the sun. And a smaller one to cover the, the night that we call the moon. And there are billions of stars suddenly filling the skies. And God says, man, that is good. He says, ocean, sky, be filled with life. And, and, and the seas, there are, are all kinds of fish and, and, and creatures and the sky is suddenly filled with every bird that you can imagine. And God says, man, it is good. And then He looks to the land. And He says, land, let there be animals covering you. And every kind of animal that you can imagine is made. And it's on that day that God does something that He Himself says is special. If you're in your story... I'm at the bottom paragraph of page 2 in your Bible. I'm at Genesis 1.26. God says this, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so God makes the first man, Adam, out of the dust, and, and, and later on, we find that no suitable helper is found for this man. And so God puts Adam into a deep sleep and he takes from his side a, a rib from which he created Eve. Now, our, all the uh, armchair theologians have had some big debates throughout the years about why God chose this order. Why did God create Adam first and, and Eve second? And the women have often said that God made man. Then he realized he could do a lot better. That's one theory. I actually had somebody say amen to that in the first service. I said, I knew there would be one of you. Now, men say God created Eve second. Because he knew that if he had made her first, she would have not stopped telling him how to create the man. Could be true too. Going to be one. (laughs) All joking aside, I want you to hear what God says about this humanity that he creates. It's really important. See, he's made everything, and every time he creates something, he says, man, it is good. But then God makes Adam, and he makes Eve. He puts the two together. He tells him, I want you to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then God says, not just it is good. He says, it is very good. Another translation says it is so, so good. See, the story begins, God creates everything and it is good, especially humanity. In fact, this was our children's lesson today as they studied the story that, that literally humans are God's crowning creation. Humans are God's crowning creation. If they were in Sunday school, your kids heard that. And and we proclaim that because, of course, we are the only thing in all of creation said to be made in God's image and in God's likeness. Somebody says, well, pastor, what does that mean? I could preach about seven sermons on this, but we're going to cover it in about... 37 seconds. So here we go. To be made in God's image and God's likeness means, first of all, that we're spiritual beings. God is spirit, and, and so we are created to be uh, spiritual beings. It also means that we're personal beings, right? Uh, God, God, is, God is a person, um, and, 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 and so God gives us personality. There's one God and three persons, each very distinct. And God made you distinct as well. Uh, it means that we're moral beings, right? Uh, God is placed within the human heart uh, at some general knowledge of what is right and wrong at all times. We call this the case for natural law in the world, but we have a moral compass, even though we don't often succumb to doing the right things because of what we'll talk about in a bit. God created us to be relational beings. We were formed, believe it or not. And I did a yesterday in San Antonio before we could we could we could hook the people up and uh, and say hey you guys are in relationship we first had to make sure and proclaim their relationship with God because we f- before we were ever created to have a relationship with one another we were first created to have a relationship with God and then a relationship with other God also made us to be rational beings right of all of creation we are the people that don't just thrive on instincts but God instead gave us the ability to think and to learn to decide to make choices we're emotional beings we have the ability to have compassion and empathy and joy and anger of course god's greatest attribute love we have that ability that love of course has more to do with that choice thing that we'll talk about later it'll work its way through the story and then finally we're creative beings god the creator made us in his likeness and we are creative people you don't believe me, stick your kid in a room and just throw the stuff that's in your junk drawer at them and say, make me something. You will be astounded. They'll come up with imaginary friends. Uh, We kind of did this Wednesday night. One little girl made a a shusher with a feather so she could, shh, shh. So I started putting my finger over her lips and go, shh. It's fun. If you look at those seven things and you think about how truly amazing this God is, this is where the story begins. The story begins with God. God creates, right, and everything is good. But then the story takes a quick turn, doesn't it? You're just a few pages in and you go, wait a second, what, what happened? What happened? Like everything went from being good to, eh. How did it happen so quickly? The turn seems very sudden, but the truth is that the text gives no timetable here. We don't actually know how long Adam and Eve lived in complete peace and harmony with God. We don't know that. It could have been a hundred years. It could have been, 100 years, could have been like a hundred seconds. You know, We're not exactly sure. I, I do know that when I tell my children, uh, hey... Uh, We've got company coming over. Those warm chocolate chip cookies are not for you. That when the company actually shows up, there are always less cookies than there were supposed to be. Within a matter of minutes. We don't actually know a timetable, but what we are introduced to very early on in this story is that this story will have an antagonist. The story will have an antagonist and, 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 and he's one that's so evil, he is so destructive that, that he couldn't be some figment of the imagination. He couldn't be made up. And later in the story, we'll, we'll figure out what his name is. His name is, is Satan, right? And the, and the story is going to reveal to us that he is, he is pure evil, that, that he longs to steal and to kill and to destroy us. And he hates God. And he hates us because God loves us. And so you see, we're, we're a part of the story. And since we're a part of the story, eventually, I thought it was important when we, you get to, to that section in the story that talks about the fall of man or Genesis chapter 3 in your Bibles, that we maybe talk about this enemy, this antagonist, and about how he tries to tempt mankind because he uses those same strategies today. Did you notice in your reading this week that Satan did three things? Three things. The first thing that he did with Adam and Eve is he questioned God's word. I think we've got a slight... Yeah, he questioned God's word, right? And on page five, at the top of page five in your story, or in Genesis chapter three, verse one, uh, the serpent, that's Satan, by the way, says, did God really say right? God, God had, of course, made them they, living in complete perfection. They have everything they could ever need or ever want. God himself walks with them during the cool of the day for crying out loud. They have God. And, and, and there's one thing that God says you can't do. You cannot eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge and good and evil. If you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, it's easy as Christians to go, come on, they couldn't have done one thing. Well, guess what, people? Jesus said you only have to do two things. Love God and love people. How are you doing? Follow me? And so they, the serpent comes and he says, first questions God's word. Did God really say, he says. Now after he questions God's word, he just flat out then goes and denies God's word. This is in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3. He says this. Now God has said, remember, you're going to die. And, and the serpent, Satan says, no, you won't die. So not only does he question, it begins with a question, but then it's a flat-out denial. No, you won't die. No, God's wrong. God's wrong. You won't die. And then he does this, and this is where he really gets us hook, line, and sinker, folks. He attacks God's goodness. He attacks God's goodness. He basically says God is holding out on you. In fact, Satan's argument was that God doesn't want you to eat from the tree. It's not that you're going to die. It's that God knows that if you do it, you'll be like him. He questioned, he said, God's holding out on you. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Satan does those same things to us today, of course. And of course, guys, Adam and Eve take the bait, right? I mean, she takes the bite. He's there. He's supposed to be protecting her men. It's the role, not doing it. And in that moment, friends, everything changed. Everything changed. And that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of the main second point of the text, right? Man sins. Everything changes. God creates. Everything is good. Man sins. Everything changes. Everything changes. Someone says, Pastor, what do you mean everything changes? How, how is that possible? Man sins and everything changes? Yeah, I really do mean everything. And when, I, when I say that, I'll walk you through just four things quickly, right? Sin changed man's relationship with God, right? That's what it does. I mean, I mean, man was created to be with God, to live in fellowship with God. They, they would hang out and, and spend time in the garden together, yet suddenly sin enters the world, and now Adam and Eve are hiding from God. Instead of running to God, instead of running to the source of life, they're now they're running in the opposite direction. Sin changes man's relationship with God. Sin also changes our relationship with one another. Did you notice, as you read through the story this week, that the moment that sin entered the world, so did blame. Did you notice that? And, and, and the man, first of all, God calls the man to account, like, hey, you're the protector, what's going on? He's like, it's not me, it's that woman you put me here with. Now, now, do you remember what Adam said when he first saw the woman? He's like, whoa, man, she is really beautiful. Right? And now he's like, well, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, that's her fault. And then Eve, of course, she's not gonna take any blame because no sinners take blame. And so she she points out, it was the serpent. It was was your fault because you let the serpent be in the garden in the first place. See, God, it's your fault. It's not my fault. And the blame game begins. Sin also changed the beauty of life. All of creation was affected. The ground is cursed. Work is going to be harder. Even, Even birth, which is supposed to be joyous, now hurts. Are you kidding? Everything is affected. And then, of course, sin changes the length of life. Adam and Eve, who were created to live forever... Are now going to die physically. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. Sin changes everything. Now hear me, I'm not naive. Uh, I know in our world today that sin's not popular. <laughs> People don't like to talk about it, but this needs to be said. It can't be understated. Sin is deadly, and sin is destructive. It's devastating. In fact, it's so devastating that it is going to infect and destroy all. All of humanity, men will now be faced with the choice of good and evil. And apart from God, they will always choose evil. If you don't believe me, just look at the first children of Adam and Eve. And you think about Cain, and you think about Abel. Abel, of course, brought to God an acceptable offering. It's from the first fruits. was the fatted portion, right? And, and then his brother Cain brought an offering too, but it wasn't from his heart. It wasn't as good. And, and in that moment, Cain had options. He actually had choices. He could have gone to his brother and said, hey, Abel, can I ask you a, a, a favor? Like, like how, how, how did you know what would be acceptable to God? Abel, could you, could you show me how to be a better follower of God? Like, that was actually a choice on the table. But instead, remember, sin has entered the world. We don't ever want to accept responsibility. Abel doesn't want to say, well, maybe my offering wasn't good enough because it's my fault. Because I didn't put God first because I gave him the leftovers. We don't do that now that sin has entered the world. No, instead, he chose to see his brother as the problem, not as a possible solution. So, you see, the problem is not with me It's not with my offering. The problem is with my brother. Goody two-shoes over there had to go and ruin it for me, and I missed out on the blessing of God because of him. So if he's not in the picture, God will have to accept me. And from that point on, friends, sin just gets out of hand. The story of humanity gets worse and worse, and the sin of Adam and Eve is not content to merely... Be contained in their family. It, 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 it just seeks to consume every desire of every man's heart, complete depravity. Every generation from this point on, all of their offspring is going to be contaminated with this thing called sin. And so God um, writes what I think are some of the hardest words in all of the Bible in Genesis chapter 6. It's on page 8 of the story if you're following along, some of the hardest words to read in all of the Bible, because it, it, it literally, it, just read this, it says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil. Did you hear that? Every inclination of the heart was only evil, and, and that was, get this, all the time. And so the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so God decides to flood the entire earth. He's going to destroy all of creation, except for the few animals that he sends to a man named Noah, who we'll talk about in a second, and, and, and eight people, eight people, Noah and his, and his direct family. God is going to wipe away everything. Now, this is what the text would say about Noah uh, Genesis 6, 9, page 8 of the story is that Noah was a righteous man. Carefully read this with me. Blameless among the people of his time. It doesn't say that he's blameless. He's blameless among the people of his time. Comparatively speaking, Noah's the best guy there is, right? Noah is the best choice. During this time, he walked faithfully with God. But friends, after the flood waters recede, Noah plants a vineyard. And the next thing we hear about Noah is that he's drunk and naked, right? And listen, we're Baptists, so some of you think that we don't drink. Well, we're actually the Baptist church in town that says you can drink, okay? Just in case you're wondering, I know you didn't think that was true, but we actually say that that can happen. You can drink, but you just, you can't get drunk. The Bible says that every believer should be full of the Spirit, and one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. That we have to know those limitations, we say no, right? And, and so, so, but listen, I, I, why? The picture is this. Noah wasn't sinless. Noah had been infected with the virus of sin. This is why you got to get, right? Sin entered the ark and sin exited the ark. Now that raises some questions if you're a thinker. Why would God do that? Why would God wipe out all of humanity if he knew that sin would exit the ark? Why? Why? I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you two answers, okay? And this is this is um, maybe something you haven't thought about. Now some people would say was the, was the ark like plan A of God? God was gonna destroy the earth, that's plan A, and then he's gotta come up with a plan B. No, that's not how God works. It's not how God works. And so let me tell you why the flood, okay? Number one. Number one, because God doesn't tolerate evil forever. You need to hear that God will not tolerate evil forever. Okay? Now, now hear me. God is unfathomably patient. We crafted that word carefully, right? See, some people know that God is patient, and they know that God is eternal, and they make the mistake of saying God is eternally patient, but God is not eternally patient. God is unfathomably patient, right? In fact, 2 Peter three nine says, God is not slow as we understand slowness, rather He is patient with you, because He doesn't want anyone to perish, okay? So God is unfathomably patient, but there are times throughout human history, there are, there are points that God gets to where, where the level of sin, the level of vileness, the level of evil of a people gets to such a point that God says, that is enough and no more. And that's the point we find ourselves in in Noah's age. During Noah's age, sin had gotten so bad that God said, enough and and no more. And in Abraham and Lot's age, that happens in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, no, that has reached the level of vileness that I will withstand no more. That happens again in Joshua's age as they're about to enter into the promised land. And you read the command of God where he says, Joshua, great faithful man of God, I want you to go and I want you to kill all of the Canaanites, men, women, and children. And we say that is completely unfair, God. And you say, why would would God say to do something like that? Well, maybe because the Canaanites worshipped a God called Moloch. And that God called Moloch demanded child sacrifice. And you had to take your children, your firstborn children, and you had to roll them into a raging fire that they might be burned alive. Get this, here's why. So that Moloch would bless you financially, so that you would be successful. And God says, that's vile. We've got to wipe that out. Some people in the early service, they gasped when they heard that. And I said, lest you gasp here, are we not a similar culture that sacrifice our children on the altar of success? We have to be careful because this is a truth. God doesn't tolerate evil forever. Second reason for the flood, and I think this is a huge one, Guys. God wanted to show us there is no man-made solution to our sin problem. God wanted to show us there is no man-made solution to our sin problem. It doesn't matter what kind of quote-unquote ark we may build for ourselves, it's not going to be enough to fix our sin problem. And men throughout the remainder of this story will try to insulate themselves with various rules and, and religious practices, trying to make themselves right with God, but all of their attempts will fall short. All of their attempts will fall short. Okay? whew, that's pretty depressing stuff, right? (laughs) Doesn't sound like a great story yet, yet there is hope. And that's where we end this morning on that high note. Ready? Number three, I want you to see this morning that as we studied and walked through this story, that God promises that he will provide. God promises that he will will provide. So God, of course, makes a promise to Noah. Uh, it's a covenant on, on, on in the lower story. He makes, a, he makes a covenant promise in the lower story that we all read about. He says, hey, Noah, I'm never going to flood the surface of the whole earth again. I'm, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to wipe out humanity again down here this way. Okay, and here's a sign. I'm going to, after every rainstorm, I'm going to put like this beautiful rainbow up in the sky. And every time you see it, you should think about that, not about all the other stuff society tells you to think about, okay? So God's like, that's my promise to you. That's my promise to you. And so so that covenant is going on in the lower story. But what's going on in the upper story is that God is actually preparing a a much greater covenant. A covenant so powerful, get this, that it will actually have the ability to erase man's sin problem. To completely cover his sin problem. And so God begins this too in the story. And so if if you're in the story, I'm on page six. uh, This is Genesis um, chapter three, starting in verse 15. And the rest of the story uh, is going to point to this, all right? But Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 15, and it says this, uh, God is speaking. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to Satan. He says, in between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And God's saying, wait, 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 listen, I know that it looks terrible, and I know there is this antagonist, and I know that he looks powerful, but he is not all powerful. A solution is coming, a time is coming. Well, this antagonist will be put to an end, and, and that his end is going to come through a son. His end is going to come through a son. And, and then get this, the story gets even better, and, and that son is going to do something for our sin. He's going to cover it. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It's, it's still on page 6 of your story. It says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now listen, uh, he didn't make like skin, skin, right? That's not what we're talking about. They actually had covered, remember, their nakedness with fig leaves. By the way, this isn't about fashion either. God wasn't trying to be like, well, you need to be a little more fashionable out there in the real world. This isn't a lesson in modesty. This is a lesson... uh, and, And listen, most scholars think that God did this right in front of them. Now, remember, life has been perfect up until this point. There has been no death. There has never been bloodshed ever. And so God says, Adam and Eve, come here. Something has to happen. And he takes an animal, a beautiful animal that he has created... He takes this beautiful animal that he has created, and there, most scholars think, in front of them. He, he, he kills that animal. And that animal's blood runs out, and that animal is clean, and then he takes the skins, the, the fur of that animal, and he makes clothes for them to cover their shame, and to cover their nakedness. Evidently, the fig leaves weren't doing it. And listen... From that moment on, God establishes this system that will repeat repeated over and over and over in front of his children. That sin brings death. Sin causes bloodshed. The only way for sin to be covered is for something or someone to die. And for the rest of the story, that theme will be repeated. But here is the promise of God. He will be the one to provide the sacrifice. He will be the one to provide the sacrifice. God will cover our sin and our shame. Now, this point in the sermon, we usually give you application. If you're following in your sermon notes and you flip to the back, it doesn't say application. I think it says taking the story home. And... Uh, because I think each week we're gonna talk about some concepts that are so big that you need to think about them as you leave and, and as you, you go about your day uh, from here on out next week. And so the first challenge I think that these first nine chapters I'm put to us is this I think we need to understand how much God values us. Understand how much God values you. In a church this size, and, and we had a great crowd this morning, I promise you that somebody walked through the doors this morning and, and you've been battling depression. I, I know that some of you walked through the doors this morning and when you got up, you didn't like the person that you saw in the mirror. Some of you are struggling with shame. Some of you are struggling with illness, right? And it's, it's really easy when life gets hard to get to a point that you feel like nobody else knows or nobody else cares. But here's the beauty of the story, that God knows and God cares and you are extremely valuable to God and so in those mornings when you wake up and you don't feel like going on I pray that you would remember there's a God that has not forgotten you there's a God that loves you there's a God that cares about you and there's a God that says listen I have tomorrow planned for you right don't give up today because tomorrow I'll still be there just like I'm here right now and that's the story of the Bible over and over of of all that God has created you are his crowning achievement. Don't ever forget that. The world will tell you, ladies, you have to look a certain way, right? You have to dress a certain way and you got to talk a certain way. I mean, like after all, like if you don't. Guys, it'll tell you, you got to act a certain way too. I'm not going to pull my pants down as low as it says you should wear them, but be awkward. Put your chest out, pants down. You got to act like all of life has to do with what's below the equator. That's what it's going to say. And God says, you know what? I don't look at any of that. Here's what I created. I created a beautiful person. And you know how I know? Because I gave you a heart that beats for me. And that is all that matters. Listen, I know you've been through some tough times. We've got, um, Charles, I love you, brother. Praying for you. We get more calls. We've had more calls here in the last eight months about somebody with cancer or stage four cancer. I mean, you could even Imagine. God has not forgotten you. You are his crowning creation. Don't ever forget it. And so you wake up every morning and you remember how special you are to God and you are thankful for the breath in your lungs and you put your feet on the floor and you say, I can get through today because God loves me. And that's enough. And that's enough. So I I pray this week that you would understand how much God loves you too. I pray this week that you would understand that you would see how destructive sin really is. Would you please see how destructive sin really is? And you may want to write this down. I I, I wrote this early this morning. So I was praying about this. Sin is never content to stay contained. Sin is never content to stay contained. Right? Sin is not something that can be toyed with. It'll destroy you. Sin was not content to be contained in the life of Adam and Eve. It had to affect their children and their children's children and all of humanity. Sin is never uh, something that is meant to be toyed around with. And here's the problem, guys, is that we've convinced ourselves that our sins are okay, that they're not that big of a deal. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that all sin is a big deal, because sin never stays contained. And so many of you walked through the doors this morning, and there's stuff going on in your life, and you're acting like it's not a big deal, and you're trying to hide it, and you're trying to cover it up, and you just think, you know what, it doesn't affect anybody else, it only affects me, right? And this morning I talked to some men, and I said, listen men, maybe maybe it's lust, and maybe it's like, not even big lust, but but you know, you're, you're flipping through the newspaper, and you saw an ad, and you knew, you're like, oh I shouldn't look at that, but then you open it back up just for ten more seconds, to, and then you close you say, no, 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 I'm done. Maybe it was a second look at that jogger that was going by, right? Ladies, maybe, maybe for you it's something else. My point to you is, is you think you've got it handled, but you don't. Because that's not how sin works. You can't contain it. And you want to know what the Bible's instruction is about sin, ready? It's premeditated murder. Not of people. Not a Cain moment, okay? But of the sin itself. The word the Bible uses on how we should deal with sin is mortify. Mortify. It means to think through, to think about what causes, right? To get to the root of and to kill to put to death the sin that is in our bodies. I, I've shared with the congregation before, we read a book with our children years ago. It's out of print, but if you can find it, it is so good. It's called Kingdom Tales. And it's this story kind of this, of, this, of, of orphans and this, this, um, this creator that loves them and, and he's got rules and he takes in all the orphans and, and there's people chasing after him. There's an evil one that's trying to steal all the orphans. And Anyway, it's a it's, it's crazy kind of tale. But in it, in this perfect garden they live in, He tells his children, listen, everything here is fine, but you've got to stay away from dragons or from dragon eggs. And there's one little orphan girl in particular, as she was out uh, in the forest one day, she stumbles upon the most beautiful egg that she's ever seen. And she's so awestruck with its beauty. And she knew what the creator had said. She knew that he had said not to play with with a dragon egg, but she took that egg home because it's so beautiful. And she thought, nobody will find out it's just an egg. And one day that egg hatched, and out came the cutest little baby dragon you had ever seen. And she thought again, I know that I'm not supposed to be doing this, but it's okay. Nobody knows. That's just gonna be, he's going to be my pet. It's going to be perfect. But guess what? That dragon grew and grew and grew. And one day, the house was warmer than it had been before. And another day, there were black marks on the wall. And then finally, one day, that little dragon that she thought was a pet almost burned her alive. say it again. Sin is never content to stay contained. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the struggle is, but I will say this. Kill it. Put it to death. It is not worth it. And it will affect more than you. It will affect your family. It will affect your friends. It will affect your relationship with God. Put it to death. And lastly, I'd ask you to take this home and think through it. Know your need for Jesus. Just know your need for Jesus. Listen, there is no man-made effort you can come up with to cover up your sin problem. Like, I don't care what kind of quote-unquote arc you try to build for yourself. There is no way that you can fix your sin problem. You just can't do it. You, you need Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can save you from your sin problem. That's it. And um, many of you know, I, I've got friends and family back in the Houston area. And so uh, some of them, when, when Harvey hit and the flooding came and it came up so quickly, uh, the officials told people, like, phones aren't working. Uh, we, we don't know how to get to you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be in the air and we're going to we're gonna be looking for you. If you will climb onto your roof and hang out a blanket of any cover, a sheet, something, right? And, and it was a sign, right? And and, and literally, it was it. And that sign just saying, save me. And so there were images of the, of, of the town I grew up in, Friendswood, Texas. Three Coast Guard choppers all at the same time dropping buckets, rescuing families off of the roofs, right? But every single one of those families knew that they needed saving. And every single one of those families threw out the flag, threw out the sheet and surrendered and said, God, I know I can't save myself. Would you save me? I need you. I need you. And that's what I'm going to tell you, friend. You need Jesus. And if today you're here and you've never done that, it, it, it's not nearly as hard as you might think. It's, it's just something simple. Lord, today I heard that there's nothing I can do. There's no ark that I can build that could cover my sin problem, that could make me right again, that could save me. Would you please save me? You pray a prayer like that, God will honor it. I promise, all right? do you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for your word. It is good it endures forever. Lord, I pray for each of us that you would speak to our hearts on how we should respond. And uh, we just ask that in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Real simple this morning, guys. Uh, we we pray a little prayer around here sometimes. It's not me being lazy. I honestly think it's one of the most effective prayers you can ever pray. So Alan's just going to play for just just a couple minutes. We're not going to run it on. Just a couple minutes. But I just want you, if you would bow your head this morning. We've covered the first scene of this entire story, the story of God. We've talked about the fact that He's Creator and that everything that He made is good. We've talked about the fact that we've sinned and it changed everything. We've talked about the fact that God has promised, that God has promised a solution, okay? I don't know where you are in that, but I do know this. God is good enough to reveal it to you. And so what I like to do around here, if you would just in a moment of prayer, it'll be very quick... Would you just bow your head before God and just say this, just say this prayer. You don't have to repeat it, but you pray it in your own words. Hey, God, how are you speaking to me today? God, how are you speaking to me today? You just ask him. Maybe he's going to point out a sin that you have to kill. Maybe today he's going to say, call on the name of the Lord. You know, the Bible says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe tonight or this morning, you just throw up that flag and say, "Jesus, save me, please, save me." Jesus, save my marriage today. Would you save my marriage? Jesus, would you would you save my job today? Would you save it? Jesus, would you save my life today? Right? You just you just say that. I don't know. Just God, how are you speaking to me right now? Let's just let this spirit move. When you feel like He's spoken to you, you can look up here. Father, we want to pause this morning and we want to say, wow. Wow, you are God. And boy, have you written a story. Thank you for what you've taught us so far about this story. Thank you for what you're going to continue to teach us about this story. Help us continue to open our lives and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.